Good morning, everyone. So, this morning we are continuing our series on the Word and the Spirit. Now, we've had a few talks on the Word and a few on the Spirit. I'm going to be looking at the Spirit today. Uh, One isn't more important than the other. We need to hold both in each hand and that gives us a balanced walk with Christ. Think of it like almost like food and water. We need both, don't we, to have a healthy existence. And it's the same with the Word and the Spirit. So, now, the thing is with the Word, it's a bit easier for us to understand and kind of grapple with, isn't it? We, we've grown up through school reading books, studying books, looking at Scripture. And so when it comes to the Bible, that can sometimes be a bit easier to understand. Whereas the Spirit, it's sometimes a little bit harder to get your hands onto and get a hold of and understand what it actually is and what it actually means. And in our culture, we don't particularly, you know, some cultures are a bit more in touch with their spiritual side. In our culture, we, we don't tend to be so in tune with it. Now, throughout the Bible, there's lots of different imagery for uh, to try and help us understand the Spirit. Things like water, things like fire, the dove, the wind. But again, I mean, I think there's lots of different things to just try and help us because it is a difficult thing to kind of get our heads around. But today we're going to be looking at water. So we're going to look at our first scripture. So my desire really for this morning is that I can kind of ground the Holy Spirit for us this morning. And it's not this ethereal kind of distant force that you can't quite understand and get a hold of. I want him to be so down to earth for you. I want him to be so personal for each one of you. He's a relational God. And one of his ways of connecting with us is through his Holy Spirit. It was a bit like a tag team. When Jesus went to heaven, he high-fived the Holy Spirit and said, go down and be amongst them and share Jesus, my spirit, with them. Okay? And so that is what I want us to kind of... I want it to be really practical for you this morning so that tomorrow you can wake and you can turn and say, Holy Spirit, welcome you. Good morning. Walk with me. Okay, so we're going to look at our first passage in John 7, 37 to 39. <clears throat> it says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So I'm going to kind of divide my talk up this morning is uh, in three kind of sections. Um, if you could imagine that we would be rewinding back in history, pausing the button, and then fast-forwarding on and seeing what goes ahead. Or another way to look at it is, if you think of a racket sport, 
The person extends their arm backwards and comes forward with momentum and force, hits at the point of contact the ball, and it rockets forward in the same trajectory. So you might think of it like that. One final picture for you. I went to New Day, which is a festival for the young people in the church, several years ago, probably six years ago. My son was quite young, and they do this great thing in the middle of a field where they put this big PVC sheet out, they spray water on it, put fairy liquid on it. And what I did with my son, he saw all the young people doing it, what I did with my son, I I got a hold of him, he was quite small, I ran up to this polythene sheet and I launched him across. It was just, just, I think he was in his nappy at the time. And he, he just went exhilarating straight down this um, slippery side. It was smiling. It was just really exhilarating and a joyful moment for me and for him. So, so imagine, that's like the run-up, the, the history, the, the build-up, and then the release of power and the going forward. So that's how we're going to look at it. So let's go straight in. What we're going to do first is we're going to rewind back from this point when Jesus made this statement to everyone. We're going to rewind back. Um, So we're going to rewind back maybe a week, maybe a day, maybe a couple of years, and maybe even one and a half thousand years, okay? So stay with me, please. So just before this statement came from Jesus, this proposition to everyone, he'd just been doing his public ministry for one to two years. And throughout that time, he was getting quite a reputation amongst the people. He was doing lots of different things. I mean, in fact, the book of John is called the book of signs. And all these things we need to think of, these are signs pointing to something. And uh, you may recall that one day he was in Cana and he changed water into wine. A big event, I think. If that happened in our village, people would probably hear about that. Other things that he did were like uh, he was driving people out of the temple with a whip, turning over tables. He wasn't a quiet, retiring guy. He, you know, people would have noticed him. He would have at least heard about him. He went to speak to a prostitute woman at the well. And uh, this would have caused much gossiping as well, I would imagine. Healing a lame man at the pool. He'd been lame for 38 years. He would have probably known in the, in the town. Feeding of the 5,000. That's quite a big event in anyone's uh, village, area, town. Walking on water. All these events draw, drew attention to him. He also had a reputation for teaching in the temples with great wisdom, unlocking scripture and authority um, in the synagogue of the temple. So many of his public actions were signs offering a greater gift, a more abundant life than the people already knew, something far greater. Actually, coincidentally, it's worth noting that a lot of these pictures and signs were linked with water, which is what we're going to be talking about in shortly. So you can think of walking on water, water into wine, healing the man at the pool, um, woman by the well. So this is the immediate context and background of where these people, when this statement came, they could remember all these things in the background. and Oh, yes, that's, that isn't he the guy that did that and did that? And all these things would be in their heads. But this particular time of year, going back just one week preceding this time, they were, it, was the, it was called a, the harvest. It was like a Feast of the Tabernacle, it was called. It was a bit like a harvest festival where they looked back. Everyone was 
gathered, every, all the Jews, all the Gentiles, all came together and celebrated this time. They were con- think, remembering, basically, God's provision to their forefathers one and a half thousand years previously in the wilderness, in the desert. They remember God's faithfulness and his provision to them. Remember when the manna came down and uh, fed the people and when uh, water was struck from the rock. In fact, at that time of this uh, festival, they would have read passages from the Old Testament which to, to remember these times. So we could, we could maybe read a couple of those now. We could read from Exodus. So uh, this is just a little excerpt that says, you know, this is about the Israelites. So they were quarreling with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? The Lord answered Moses, Strike the rock, which again I think is symbolism for Jesus' death later. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And he called this place Massa and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? You might be asking that question here this morning. Is the Lord among us or not? At the time when Jesus gave this statement, they asked the same question. Is this the Lord among us or not? And then in Isaiah, let's look at another scripture that they may have read out at this festival. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Wonderful, isn't it? Just drink that in now. It's no coincidence that after a period of Jesus' public ministry of power, demonstrating signs of his provision to people locally, And at the end of this festival, where they're remembering the Lord's provision to their forefathers. Now, I've read a little bit about this festival. Apparently, on this last day, where it says the last and greatest day, it kind of builds. You know, at festivals that some of you young people, maybe you older ones, go to festivals, don't you? They have the headline act, don't they? Well, this is no different. This festival, it was where the priests, apparently all came together, and this was the kind of, it was called the greatest day. And I believe that they would take these big silver bowls of water and they would march round the altar and then they'd pour out this kind of sacrifice. And it was like a libation to, to asking God to provide for people in the future. And it may have been that at this point where they're appealing to God to provide water for the people in the future, that Jesus stood up in the midst of this and said these amazing words. In these words, he's basically exclaiming that he is God. He says, come to me, for water. So everyone would have been amazed that you know they're giving this offering to the Lord. And then this man stands up and says, Come to me for water. So he was basically saying, 
proclaiming himself to be the great provider, the redeemer of Israel, the one who will lead them through every wilderness and drought. So that's us looking back. I'm not going to do it the pause because I'm going to leave the pause bit, the pause button, the moment of contact, the release till the end. But we're going to look forward now. So what is the result of us drinking of this water? We can have great faith to expect great things when we drink of this water. It speaks of rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now I believe it's our deepest spiritual thirst and longing for relationship with Jesus that will be satisfied through this living water. However much we look back on God's faithfulness and maybe you can remember his goodness, his provision, we actually need to have an ongoing dependency with him and on him. We need to remember that we were saved by the Holy Spirit. And there's a scripture I often keep going back to, actually recently in these last months, in Galatians, where it says, How foolish can you be after starting your new life in the Spirit, new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? We're saved by the Spirit, so we need to continue and rely and be, to be dependent on the Spirit. So it's really important that we get an understanding of what the Spirit is. Do you agree? We need to understand it. So, in these other verses in Ephesians, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he must have said this for a reason. He must have realized that there's a danger for us to have an alternative to the Spirit. Here it was talking about the wine, but you could fill in the gap. You could try and quench your thirst in lots of different ways and replace it with the Holy Spirit. I think that's so often the danger that we fall into, that we try and gratify our desires by our own human methods. And they're so full short of, 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 um, of God. We were, someone prayed out earlier, we were singing about God has no rival, no equal. And that's true here. So until recently, there was actually three different ways of uh, collecting water. And... Uh, I've got a, if you can go to the next slide. So here, this is a picture of a cistern in um, Argentina. I was in Argentina in February this year. And uh, this basically relies on just collecting water. And uh, if it doesn't rain, you're not going to have any water. And uh, the other thing is with it, it's stuck in a thing in the sun. It can become stale very quickly if you don't siphon off and use it for that day. So, you know, someone, a man has had to build this. I had, there was actually a picture of a, a bigger cistern that kind of looked after the whole village. And there was a man every morning that had to pump the water 
each morning to get the water out of the well and, and it went up into this cistern. So, uh, so that's one man-made, man-made way of collecting water. The other one is just digging a well. Now, digging wells are really hard work and really dirty. My father-in-law tried to dig a well in his garden. It took him weeks and we did get a trickle of water out the end, but uh, it was really, really hard work and messy. And um, actually, also in Argentina, the well that they had in this village that we stayed in, um, not so much now, but 20 years ago, a young man had to go down into the well and pull out all the snakes every morning that might have gone in in the night because the water would just go stale and not taste very taste snake-like, which is not very nice. So, uh, but the third way that people collected water was just relying on springs. And spring water is the freshest, sweetest, cleanest water that bubbles up from the recesses in the ground and it never runs dry. And this is the water that we're talking of when we're talking of the Holy Spirit. So why would you look elsewhere? Why would you try and attain water from anywhere else but from the Spirit of God? There's no other substitute. In the verses before this slide, where it's in Romans, I think Andrew shared them before, righteousness, peace and joy, where does it come from? If you go back to the last slide, Adam, righteousness, peace and joy comes from the Holy Spirit. That's okay. Yeah. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Again, just things we do physically, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that, let's not look anywhere else for it. So the Holy Spirit gives us power, brings vigor to our lives. It drives out darkness. It teaches you how to pray. It gives us gifts. The fruit of the Spirit that was read earlier leads you into truth. The Bible comes alive. It shows you the true Jesus. It helps us to be witnesses. It reveals dreams and visions and future plans for us. Christianity and discipleship is, is basically about teaming and partnering with the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus, when he attracted himself to human form. It speaks of him um, being led up by the Holy Spirit when he went before he went into the be tempted by the enemy. And so we are now invited into this this team with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And then place your name as well in this team, this dynamic team that we've been invited into to partner with. In Luke, it talks to us about being clothed with power from on high. In Acts, it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be scattered. So first we'll receive power. For what reason that we'll be scattered and be witnesses to different places? Read Judea, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So... There's often different myths about the Holy Spirit that we can get uh, sidetracked with and 
talked before about how big is your God and how we pocket God and we can create God in something which is so full short of who he really is. And um, I sometimes feel that the Holy Spirit is guilty of this, that we just reduce him down to something that leads our meetings and governs the way we have our times together. And he actually is given, the person of the Holy Spirit is given, that he might govern everything we do in our lives. Not just our meetings and our times together. It would govern our giving, our serving, our socialising, our working, our parenting, our mission. Not just our meetings and our times together on a Sunday. A guy called Dave Holden, who's a leader of one of the spheres that we're part of as a church, said this charismatic church is charismatic life expressed through individuals. I found that helpful. We can get a bit confused sometimes by the word charismatic church. We think it's just, yeah, we uh, clap our hands and raise our hands. That's charismatic church, isn't it? It's it's so not. (laughs) We do do that, but charismatic church is individuals full of the Spirit of God being sent out and being witnesses for Christ. So, Let's be honest, our, our commission is quite a big commission, isn't it? To uh, make disciples of all nations. To present everyone mature in Christ. To be conformed to the image of his son. Who can do that without the Holy Spirit? It's humbling, isn't it? We, but actually, it's also releasing. We, 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 we can't do it without relying on the person of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible with just our human effort. So after receiving the Holy Spirit, we should expect the same change and fruit that we see in Acts. When the day of Pentecost came and people were just filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, if we can go to this next passage, there was loads of things. Now, I don't want you to read this list and think, oh, these are some more things that I must do and Nathan's telling me I must do. No, what I'm saying is when the Holy Spirit's in you, these are just a byproduct of God working in you. So let's read some of them together. This is what happened to the guys when the Holy Spirit came on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, when we're full of the Holy Spirit... You become the person God intended you to be. He changes us from the inside out. And we often try and do it the other way around. We have these discipleship programs, mentoring. And we, uh, we try and change the exterior things. But actually what we need 
which is the best discipleship, the best discipler of the Holy Spirit was in us. And then these things you'll find will change. External change requires real determination, doesn't it? And energy and effort. And it's actually exhausting. Whereas internal change requires just a heart transformation through the Holy Spirit. Now, on this whole thing about Holy Spirit being our kind of internal discipler, I want to just say that we often try and do things on the outside and address the things, our thoughts, our behavior on the outside. And we add things to it. We go to <coughs> training courses. We go to conferences. We listen to things online. And um, young people, you might go to New Day where you hear things. And these are all great things. I'm not, hear me. These are all good things for you, and they'll do you good. But for lasting, long-term change, you need the Holy Spirit within you. You can't go from one conference to the next. You can't go from New Day to the next New Day. We go physically without water for, I think, three days, and we'll struggle. Some might even die. And that's why I think it's so helpful that the Spirit is likened to water as well. You can't go, even from Sunday to Sunday, without knowing the effects of going without the Holy Spirit. Each morning I wake, I turn to my bedside table, and I take a drink of water. That's the first thing I do. Many of you may do. I just need it. Wouldn't it be great if we were like that with the Holy Spirit? Wake each morning and drink deeply of the Holy Spirit. Just because you know. You just need the Holy Spirit. I can't go a day without the Holy Spirit in me. Shaping me. Discipling me. Giving me power. We all need it, don't we? Yeah, often we look to the fruit before the kingdom. Sorry, the king. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, doesn't it? And then all these things will be added to you. So I'll put in that, when you're seeking first the kingdom, you're actually seeking the king, the one who's reigning in that kingdom. So, now we come to the point of today, right now, this moment, this moment of launch, of contact with the racket or bat. We've spoken about Kairos moments before, haven't we? Where there's just a moment in time where you need to make a decision, where there's an urgency to respond to something. So we look back at God's faithfulness and provision, and we look forward to his promises. We know that he's good to his word. And then we're propositioned in that moment. <coughs> in the context when Jesus made this statement, I'd imagine people have been sat on the floor, and that's why he stood up to be noticed. He wanted to make a point. He wanted... This was a really important thing that he wanted to declare to people. He wanted everyone to hear what he had to say. So actually, if, if he was here, he probably, because you're all sat on, he might have even got on a chair if he was here. 
just to make a point. Suddenly, people, I've got people's attention a bit more, haven't I? <laughs> and that's probably why he stood up when everyone was probably sitting down around him. And then, what did he say? He proposed a question. Thirsty? Come to me. It's very simple, but profound. But the point of this question, it demands a response. And lots of people at that point would have responded very differently. The only requirements for us to receive the Holy Spirit is to be thirsty and to come and to drink. We can add on lots of different things that we think we need to do in order to be eligible to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, the only one is that you need to be thirsty. (coughs) So you might ask, how do I become thirsty for the Holy Spirit? How do I become like the psalmist, David, in Psalm 61, who says, my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land. I think we need to realise that we are in a drought situation and that we do need this spiritual, relational thirst quenched. All of us, all of humankind needs this thirst quenched and the only person that can satisfy it is the Lord Jesus. So, I've not been in many situations where I've been really short of water. But there was one time, again when I was in Argentina, where we were in this village. Um, Save the image for a moment. Don't bring it up yet. I don't want people to get distracted. So uh, we were in this village, and it was about 40-degree heat. It was very dry, dusty ground. And... um, our water supply stopped. We did have a, a canister of water, and that had finished, and, and the pipes that were feeding, they just stopped. Um, this is the same place where they did have a well, but they'd gone a bit more advanced now. Uh, but uh, uh, that evening, there was a huge downpour of rain. Unbelievable. Just came down. We were all in these houses with tin roofs, and it was just like rivers flowing down. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So refreshing, I thought, in my wisdom, I'm going to go and shower now. So I went outside. It was about, I think it was about midnight. I went outside, outside our house, and where the water was coming off this corrugated roof, I just came, got into my swimming trunks, I think, and I just showered. Oh, this is so nice. You can show the picture now. Don't get distracted. (laughs) So, and then the next morning, we went to the airport to go to another place, and I saw this sign. It wasn't this sign. I couldn't find the sign. But it said, please avoid rainwater from roofs because uh, this is where the dengue fever uh, and the larvae often uh, stay in the still water in the guttering and things. So in my wisdom, I was thinking, oh, this is brilliant. I'm getting all this water. I'm getting cleansed. But actually, it was just foolishness. I didn't know that. And the reason I bring this is because so often 
our efforts and our good ideas are just foolishness. Foolishness. And um, I believe today that Jesus actually wants to expose some of our foolish attempts. Either of digging wells to get water, of receiving water to quench our thirst. I believe some of us have still got foolish attempts at satisfying your thirst. And he would just declare, you know, if you're thirsty, come to me. Come to me. The Holy Spirit, he's our basic primary necessity. So last week, um, Andrew mentioned a book, which caught my my ears. It was called something like Everyone Communicates for You Connect, is that right? By um, John Maxwell. And I believe that... This can sadly be true of our um, relationship with the Holy Spirit. We, there's no shortcuts to relationship with him. We, we basically connect by spending time with people, don't we? we? We can't do it any other way, humanly, but also with the Holy Spirit. We connect by spending time with people, real time, not fleeting moments quality time with him life in the spirit is about being in his presence walking with him in step with him to be in Christ is to be in love it's all about relationship to be in love with him to be in prayer to be in his word to be in worship these, t- these things take time, don't they? We have to rest and remain and just be, just as the disciples were, with Jesus. It says they were with Jesus. Um, if I speak in tongues of angels but have not love... I'm going to do this. Do you know what comes next? Everyone know that verse? So if I speak in the tongues of angels, we talk about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, having a spiritual language to communicate with God. It says here in God's word, if I speak in the tongues of angels that have not love, I'm just like that. I'm like a clanging cymbal. Not very musical. My son probably did a bit better than me. It's not very appealing, is it? It's gone now, the sound. There for a moment, then gone. But love remains, doesn't it? Love remains. So, I've got a few myths here that I'd like to dispel about the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, it will just be practical and helpful for you. You could probably come back to me on this first myth, but uh, that's fine. Please hear me. You don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus says, come to me and drink, I don't get this picture of uh, people coming and then waiting. 
I don't see a picture, you know, like at a bar where it's 10 deep and you're at the back of the queue and you're just waiting. You know, later, we're going to have an opportunity to, just to respond to the Holy Spirit. And there may be a tendency for some of you to be looking around going, well, how come he's being served first? Hold on a minute. I was here first. I've been asking. I don't want you to have that. You don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's not at the bar. Oh, just run. I've got to go downstairs, fill the barrel again. I'll be back. There's no sense of waiting. It's here. It's the same as salvation. It's a gift. It's, it's, it's given. It's for us to receive. There's no sense of waiting. And I know we do linger in his presence, and we've got songs like Waiting Here For You, and that's fine. But do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want you thinking, I've got to wait. I've got to... He's here now. Do you know that? I don't know if you knew that. He's here now, right now. He's with us. So that's my first myth. Um, Second myth here, that you need to be a clean vessel before you can be filled. That's not true. That's not true. That's a lie. I don't know where it came from, but it's just not true. You don't need to sort yourself out. You don't need to get ready. You don't need to put on your Sunday best. You don't need to sort out all your sin and your bad thoughts. And your... Can I tell you of a story of someone else that we might have read about many times? You can read the whole chapter, Acts 9. Read about Saul. I'll read you a few verses. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, what happened later? I would encourage you to read this later on. Acts 9. He fell to the ground. Various things happened. God asked him to do things. And then the Lord said, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he rose and was baptized. So this was at the point when Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Now, I don't know where many of you are. You may be grumbling beneath your breath, behind your nice, sorry smiles. You might be thinking, I want to kill him. I don't know. But I want to tell you, you can still come and receive and drink. You do not need to be a clean vessel. You do not need to clean yourself out before you come. Okay? So that's the second myth. Uh, One more. Myth four. You need to feel something to know that you've been filled. This isn't about feelings. This is about relying on the promise of God. Okay? Receiving the Holy Spirit is a faith thing, not a feeling. It says in the scripture we read earlier, as scripture has said, so do you believe in the authority and the sufficiency of the scripture? Do you believe in the promises and the truth of God's word? So don't look for the manifestation. Don't look for the shaking hands, all that sort of thing. That may come, but please don't look for it. Just look to Christ. Look to his promise. Look to his free gift that he wants to give you. Um, Now, I've spoken of these different time things of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, Just... As I was preparing this this morning, I felt 
God say that we can live, live in different eras and it's actually not very helpful. We can look to days gone by and look on very rose-tinted glasses. We can even look to things to come and think, oh, things will get better when this happens or that happens or when I've sorted that out. And actually, there's just a challenge to come to us all that by looking today's gone by or today's ahead, we miss this moment right now. And what God's saying to us right now in this moment, today, God is with us now. What does he want to do with you right now? How does he want to call you out? How does he want to shape you? How does he want to empower you? What does he want to say to you today? How does he want to use you to be a witness today? Don't look to days gone by or days ahead. Look to today. I was going to share a little bit about my testimony, but the difficulty is with me sharing my testimony and my walk with the Holy Spirit it's probably going to be very different to yours because it's about a relationship, isn't it? And I can't drink the Holy Spirit for you. You have to drink of the Holy Spirit for yourself. Each of you, individually, you need to take responsibility yourself. Some of you here might be relying on someone else's walk with the Spirit. Maybe your partner. Maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a leader. It is important that God has a relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. He's, his call goes to you individually. If you're thirsty, come to me. Now, I will share a few things with each other. I, I walk and I talk with God all the time. I often go to a separate place just to spend time with the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. Now, speaking in tongues, it's just the heavenly language. I believe it's for all of us. Um, for me, it's just a way of me communicating to God with absolute clarity. It's a language that he's given me. And although it doesn't make much sense in my head, I believe that what's coming from my inner being is communicating such clarity, words of worship. And I love to just stay. And if I've got time, I will just spend time just communicating him in that way because it's uninterrupted by anything else. The enemy can't get in. He can't distract my mind. Or even if he does, it doesn't matter because my mind's fruitless. So it's fine. So I do that regularly. I often go out very intentionally with my Bible, maybe with some songs, and with a pad as well. Or just think, I believe God's going to speak to me because I'm going to be in his presence, so I better take a pad because I need to write it down because I'll probably forget. Just go very intentionally. God's going to talk to me. I picked up a diary that I had from back when I was 18. And actually... I looked at them when I was 18, and I found, I did a little study on the Holy Spirit, and I looked at different things about what it represented and the different things that were shown in the Bible, like fire, wind, water. You know, so develop a relationship. 
Do everything you can to understand and host the presence of the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Get to know his character. Learn how to communicate with him in lots of different ways.